At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick vibrant-scented oils, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells... Amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Hi, I'm Dan Feldman. We'll get you to Nate and Danny in just a moment. Just wanted to share with you a little bit about what we're doing here at Dunk Don. Uh, if you if you like this episode, if you like what you're listening to, and you want to hear it uh, six times a week, we have five episodes with Nate and Danny, one episode with Nate and John Hollinger coming over from the the Hollinger and Duncan podcasts. Uh, we'll also have my daily dunks five days a week, including an audio form. At the end of this episode, we'll have the audio from Friday's dunks. But if you want to hear the dunks audio on the day that those dunks come out, you can subscribe. You can subscribe at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. If you're not quite sure yet if you want to subscribe, you can join our free weekly mailing list. There's a link to do that in the show description. But again, if you are ready to subscribe, and we hope you are, that's dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. Danny, this is always such a weird time in the season for me because things started on Tuesday. We're watching as many games as we can. You know, through that first Thursday, you kind of feel like, I, you know, I got a pretty good handle on this. I watched all the games on Tuesday, all the games on Thursday, watched four or five games on Wednesday. You know, I feel I'm pretty up to date. And then like all these teams play a back-to-back on Friday and Saturday and you're just like, oh, right. Yeah, there are 1,230 games in this NBA season. And no, you can't even come close to watch them. So I already have just this dreadful, dreadful feeling of, Oh, I'm behind. I wanted to see this team. Like, how did I, how have I not watched this game yet? And it, you just have to be like, all right, it's just well, not and, possible. And, it's a long season. And, and then you also have the ones where you're like, you circle it in your notes, and then you forget that Dallas is on a two game, has had two days off, and Memphis is on a back to back, and then Dallas just destroys Memphis. And you're like, oh, well, that was the one I thought I was going to watch, and then that, um, and then that doesn't work out. But that's a part of the story too. Is you know everything works out. Fortunately, I watched a lot of that awesome Memphis Rockets game, which we'll talk about soon. But let's start with the game you and I did for the NBA strategy stream on Saturday, a Saturday broadcast. By the way, we're doing one on Monday with Grizzlies Nets. That'll be at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. Should be awesome on League Pass. And that it was a a really interesting Heat Raptors game. I think the place to kind of start with it was the Raptors defense leaving a lot on the table, especially in that first half. Miami had, I believe, was a 147 offensive rating in the first half. Yeah, it was 7150 at halftime. And Miami went crazy from three early, making five of their first six. But that wasn't what they did in the second quarter when they outscored them again, 33-17. And the reps were within six, and then Scotty Barnes went out with an ankle issue, which hopefully isn't going to be too bad. He got undercut by Tyler Hero, who was trying to take a charge, fix the charge. Uh, Looks like just like a normal lateral ankle sprain, hopefully not something that's going to keep Barnes out another week, more than a a couple of weeks or something like that. Um, And so once 
they're missing him. No Otto Porter, no Chris Boucher. So, hey, all of a sudden, that's three of your top eight guys missing. They had to go to Delano Banton. Thaddeus Young hasn't done much so far this year. Like, he he hasn't been as good staying in front of guys. Uh, you know, they had to go to Malachi Flynn, who actually was pretty good, hit two out of four from three in the second half. But, yeah, th- this defense, it just it really disappointed me for a Miami team that came in 0-2. Now, worth noting, as the schedule already starting to catch up to teams, right? Like, the... Raps had an impressive win against Cleveland in the first game. Then they were about to take care of the Nets, and the Nets had a great comeback in their second game. Siakam had a 37-point triple-double, and then it seemed like they really just ran out of gas uh, from and just started making mental mistakes, and their defense just wasn't as tight as it you would like it to be given the personnel once again in that first half against Miami. Right. And there were a number of kind of like weird, quirky things that happened, giving up open drives. Uh, Van Vliet committed, you know, he was a little bit frustrated by it, but he committed a backcourt foul on Jimmy Butler where he did a little bit of a grab and pull and Butler sold it. And it was, it was the, I thought it was the correct call. And talk about Jimmy Butler. I was very impressed overall with this game. You know, you'd say, oh, 27 points, sorry, 24 points on seven to 16. That's pretty good, but that's not insane. But it was Toronto has the best collection of strong, long defenders, like guys that can give Jimmy Butler some trouble. And he was still making it work. He was getting to the line. He was driving into Precious to chew his shoulder and drawing a foul. He was, And it was all, it's legitimate stuff. This isn't trickery or anything like that. It's just him being a very good foul drawer and having some, you know, he had some good assists as well. And for Butler, you know, this is, this is about the hardest, other than some of the discipline stuff, this is about the hardest thing to get. And I thought he played very well. Yeah, I think one of your biggest questions coming into a new season a lot of times is, how is this star? Star is older. Uh, Jimmy is going to be 33 this year, right? He's already 33. Yeah. So the fact that he looks good, that he's able to get by guys, and we talked about this on the broadcast, and it's available in the NBA app or on desktop. If you want to go back and check it out, I, I thought it was a really good look at where some of these teams are. But he's just finding a way to get by guys still, and he does it by changing speeds. And then just his incredible strength. When he drives, he's not aiming to go around guys. He's aiming basically for their shoulder. And it just puts you in a very difficult position as a defender because you either need to be sure you are going to get there. It's really hard not to put your hand on him when he's almost attacking your body like that. But he's attacking an area where you are not in legal guarding position if contact occurs. If he hits you in the shoulder, he has the right to that spot. And you need to either get your body in front of him or you need to let him go or it's going to be a foul. And it's a different style of drawing contact. It's very rugged, but it's not it's not really a trick. It's just he's if he starts to try to go around you and gets you into this lateral sliding contest. Hey, maybe he's not going to be able to get there as quickly. But if he's changing speeds and he can just wrong foot you for even a second now he's in attacking that shoulder and there's contact and you're not in legal guarding position when that contact occurs so it's really impressive what he's able to do against some pretty good defenders we saw once more this raptors defense i talked about it very extensively during last year's playoffs talked about it very extensively with blake murphy and the trade-off just wasn't happy they gave up a ton of shots at the rim they gave up a, a ton of corner threes um Miami did have 15 turnovers 
and the Raps did have nine steals. Some of those came as they went to their devastating full court zone press late, which I think they actually waited too long to get to. And when you look at the Heat shot chart, it's not a good analytic shot chart for a defense. Especially when that team has good shooters and this wasn't really like leaving the right guys open or anything like that from from the Raps. It's I wonder if they will change some of that process. It's also when you brought up quarters threes. The Raptors took 11 threes from the left corner. A lot of those in the first half. Achua hit a couple. A bunch of guys hit a couple. A Trent, I think, had to come from there and also hit some above the break. But I agree with you on the general concept. Yeah, yeah. this is – if you liked corner threes. <laughs> oh, boy, do we have a game for you to watch um, on the NBA app. And two other things that – Yeah, the Raptors took 19 corner threes in this game yes. as well. So they were they, – they were uh, – the Heat tried to play some zone as well. Like it, it wasn't a great defensive game overall. It was kind of just, all right, look, can you hit shots or not? Sure. Uh, two other things that shaped this game in the, I believe it was the second quarter, Scotty Barnes rolled his ankle. He ended up not coming back in the game. At first, I thought I saw some tweets saying that he was available. I thought it was the right decision at that time because the, the Heat were up, I believe, it was 18 at halftime. Nick Nurse is saying that he expects Scotty Barnes to miss some time after he rolled his ankle. And then there was a brouhaha between Caleb Martin and Christian Coloco. It honestly kind of seemed in the moment like Coloco was more of a victim of circumstance. Like he got knocked over and I mean, he did, there was an arm grab involved. And then when Caleb Martin got back up, he kind of stood over Coloco and then he basically tackled him into the, into a set of chairs. It was a very bizarre circumstance. They ejected both people. And while I personally don't think Coloco did enough to get ejected, there is a point, especially when it's a non-star where you worry about the ramifications if you leave one of those people in and, and everything else like that. So while I didn't, I didn't necessarily agree with it. I totally understand understood it and then that meant the heat had to do a lot of different stuff at the four i thought it was the right call uh, to eject both of them because it seemed like what martin took exception to was a pretty severe elbow by coloco in this rebounding action although that occurred i think they judged when they reviewed it after martin had already committed a loose ball foul it ended up being a loose ball foul on martin and then both got one technical ejections after that and you know it did seem like martin certainly was the aggressor and he like stood over him and then as soon as he tried to stand up he shoved him down and and tackled him so and martin said he has to do a better job of keeping his cool in those situations um you know coloco didn't look amazing but he was giving them reasonable rotation minutes and and i think you know we'll see once boucher comes back for this hamstring issue i don't want to say when Otto portage comes back because this might be one of those things where he is going to struggle to stay healthy um oh i have have yeah so caleb martin gets tossed in the third quarter and we talked about this when we did the heats opener they have all these minutes available power forward none of the other guys haywood highsmith jovich uh none of them played at all instead because of that and tyler heroes foul trouble and the knee issue max drews played 37 minutes and he i I thought he did fine you know more capable defender than hero hit some open shots duncan robinson played 15 minutes hit one deep deep three but it was, you know, Deadman replacing Adebayo as center. So that was the whole center rotation. And then going small when it wasn't Caleb Martin. I thought that was very, su- it's been surprising this year. I thought, I, I, you know, especially with how the preseason looked, I thought Spo was going to use some of those guys. They're not in the rotation right now. No, and particularly against a team in the Raptors that doesn't have a huge center. And their five best players are probably Lowry, Hero, 
Struess, Butler, Bam. And so you might as well go with that particular and the other team doesn't have personnel that you're that concerned about on the offensive end. And Miami, and I think it was partly due again to the personnel, you know, Butler, you know, another one of these, I don't want to quote unquote play power forward, but uh, you know, you are the power forward. Struess can kind of, he's, he's barrel chested enough to maybe guard some of those guys. And Miami came in, their offense was not healthy. They lost at home to Boston uh, and were 0-2 at home after losing the Bulls on opening night. So they had only assisted on 55% of their buckets through the first two games. And we said it in the open, it turned out to be right, that this the way this Raptors team plays defense, it's a great way to juice the ball movement for your team because you're going to get drives, you're going to break the paint against their pressure, and then they can move. And they ended up with 28 assists uh, on 38 field goals. And, and that was only with making 11 threes. They, they made five of their first six uh, and then only were six out of 24 from three after that. That kind of allowed the Raptors to get back into it. It only ended up being a three-point game, although the Raptors, I don't think, never they never got a shot in the air to tie it uh, in, in the end. And Miami was up by 10 with like two minutes left. It was just the, the Raptors' pressure, uh, which kind of caused some issues. Uh, I think another big takeaway, though, from this one was that Kyle Lowry looked much better after a, a bad first couple of games against his old team. He had some familiarity. He was the guy that they needed him to be in this game, though, if they're going to contend. Capable defensively, had some nice assists. There were the Heat threw better entry passes than most of the games I've watched over the first few days of the NBA season. And then Lowry hit a couple of threes. You know, three of seven is is more than enough for them to be okay. And there were moments where you could see the Raptors. Like there was a play, a play well, he got fouled on a three. He got fouled twice on three pointers. One was a three shot foul. One he made the shot, so it was a four point play. And it was there was a funny moment when Pascal Siakam committed. I think he committed the first of those two fouls, and he's just kind of kind of pissed off in part because he knows that Kyle Lowry moves forward on these shots he's like what the hell but that's the way the rule works yeah he was a more aggressive Lowry as well hit, hit a three off an Iverson cut I mean that's just being able to bomb those threes for off the pick and roll in transition is important and then uh, holding up in the post defensively which he did I can't recall any times where someone like say Siakam was able to take advantage of him Tyler Hero we saw good hero and bad hero six assists in 22 minutes including a couple of gorgeous alley-oops one to bam that was the highlight of the game and a, a couple of nice passes to the weak side for three pointers in that first quarter but uh 14 points in 22 minutes and the reason he only played 22 minutes was uh, he had five fouls the bam out of bio oh this is the year he's good he's gonna be their superstar transfer the offense over to him uh, uh no he had six field goal attempts and two free throw attempts and one assist still a very good player uh, the foundation of everything they're doing defensively, but I haven't seen anything really to indicate that he's taking the next step offensively. For, yeah, go ahead. One other thing I want to note is, I, I don't know if I'm going to track this all year, but I think I will at sometimes. OG and Anobi's difference in efficiency between plays where he takes zero dribbles and plays where he does something. I fully support Anobi exploring the studio space, developing as a player, as an offensive, you know, as an offensive creator or just something. But whenever he takes a couple, he, he, he settles too often when the ball is in his hands. He's like, it's not necessarily a great shot, but he's going to take it. But then the catch and shoot three actually looks pretty good. And then when he gets those finishes more around the basket, more 
confident. He he looks good. So I, I think there there will be a resolution there, but you don't have to be a finished product when you come into the league. You don't have to be a finished product, you know, even at this point in his career. It's just something that I've noticed. Well, kind of more extreme with him. Another guy that I think of like that is Aaron Gordon, who now is in a much better situation with Jokic than he was previously in Orlando. Yeah, and for the Raptors, part of this was because Barnes was out. Part of it is because Boucher and Porter are out in theory, but Siakam, 40 minutes, OG, 38, Van Vliet, 39, Trent, 39, Precious Achua, 34 off the bench. I thought he was very good against his former team. That's something we thought we were going to talk about, but it ended up getting close enough at the end that we didn't have to of whether you would want to undo that trade as the Heat to just get him back and not have Kyle Lowry. But And for the Raptors, Siakam had a 37-point triple-double against the Nets the previous night and was not as efficient in this one at 8 and 19 you know that's kind of 8 and 19 9 and 20 like those are that's kind of how he shoots it's uh, getting the foul line that's really going to determine his efficiency but he just wasn't able to be as much of a matchup problem I thought in this game and you know second night of a back-to-back playing all these minutes it looked like they're going to get blown out of the building and then they just kind of they got back into it they just they were it seemed like they were down eight the entire fourth quarter like they probably missed five or six three-pointers that could have cut it to five or, or six and just never could and then they got slightly back into contact going to that full court press at the end which they probably should have done more of they actually had the heat out of timeouts with like a minute 30 left with that full court zone yeah press. They, had to bur- they had to burn both on the same on the same backcourt inbound to move it to half court and, and not get an eight second uh and then in the last minute of the game we saw Lowry hit the clinching bucket and it was just yeah another one of these like weird overhelping Raptors plays you got they had OG Ananobi guarding Jimmy Butler they had tried to press they couldn't get get the turnover and the Butler is running the time down it's late clock like under five seconds to go he hasn't really started his attack yet he's like a long two is surely going to develop against one of the top three isolation defenders in basketball and Butler for all of his brilliance you know he's not he's not gonna really like shoot over you know it's not like a KD situation where you think he's gonna get an amazing shot at the end of the clock hey he might make it but that's fine like that's defense like that's you live with that shot and instead I can't remember who it was who just came down from the top was guarding Kyle Lowry just like you know didn't even really double team just like shaded a a ton to help and then they just throw it to Lowry up top he's got a wide open lane drives down the lane and, and got a tough finish I thought, he was take the, been, I thought he was going to take the floater and then he just kept yeah. on driving into Siakam. Yeah, and it probably should have been an and one, frankly, but it's good to see, you know, that Lowry break out that Philly point guard finish every once in a while. But it's just another one of these situations where the Raptors just like, just fucking stay solid. Like, you're not going to force some turnover. Like, I'm all for them, like, putting on full court pressure or like, you know, you're, you just play good defense for 20 seconds. You got the best isolation defender in basketball guarding the guy. So let him play. It's the it's the equivalent of trust your size. It's just as a team, like yeah. believe in believe in your players, and they have the players to believe in. So yeah, I agree with you. There were a couple, yeah, and, of and then of course, foibles. you know, and, and then it's like hey, it's late clock. If you if you're going to do that, then be connected enough that you're going to have a rotation of that guy, and you know you force another pass and make him run out of time instead of just oh we're going to double off the guy right next to him and just leave him wide open. Like it's uh, uh, okay. 
that that's probably enough on, on yeah. that game. But we watched it obviously with uh, rapt attention since we were actually doing it. I'll, I'll talk about a a sugar rush of a basketball game that I watched. Um, it, so I watched it on Saturday, but it occurred on Friday, and that was Grizzlies one twenty nine, Hawk or Rockets one twenty two. The headliner was of course John Morant, forty nine points, seventeen of twenty six from the field, but. An important part of that was actually his five of six from three. When John Morant, you brought this up a little bit, when he's hitting his threes, it's just a whole different animal with him. And a lot of them were, were he had some of the catch and shoot variety where they were finding him on the kind of on the opposite side on the plays that he wasn't actually just driving through. And what was incredible about John Morant's game is, yeah, scored 49, earned that 49, had a couple of really cool transition plays. His biggest highlight of this game where he had 49 and eight was a blocked shot. Yeah, I mean, that's that one that he had where he caught it last year against the Lakers up against the back toward. It was one of like the greatest highlights I've ever seen. He had another one where uh, on the Houston's last gas, they get the tip, knock it all the way down to the other end. Jalen Green's on the fast break and Ja runs him down and gets him in, in the air on a Euro step move. Uh, how did, I, well, so, I mean, let's just talk a little bit more about how Ja did it. And in Houston, they don't have much room protection. They've been starting Bruno Fernando. He did not last very long. They took out Fernando, went with KJ Martin at the start of the third, very quickly within the first two, three minutes, and tried to play Jabari at center a little bit more, do a little more switching. Uh, Jobs able to get some plays uh, against Jabari. Who I actually want to talk a little bit since we're on the subject of Houston about their game against the Bucks sure. yesterday as well. But for this one, and Jod just coming off the pick and roll, someone like Sangoon. Fernando is really more of like a mobility stop penetration guy than a rim protector. So he wasn't going to have a chance against jaw. And I mean, they had to go over the screen because jaw was hitting his threes. And they, I mean, they just had no chance to guard Ja Morant whatsoever. And, uh, you know, we didn't, you didn't lock in as much on that Dallas Memphis game, but jaw was unbelievable in the first two games. We, we talked about him in that, that game that they won in OT against Memphis or I'm sorry, against New York. Uh, what did you think of some of these Memphis young guys who are playing because of their injury situation with, of course, Jaron Jackson out and Dylan Brooks out, Zaire Williams out, and, you know, Bain has been kind of limited these first couple of games. This was less of a great Santi Aldama game. I, it took a very preliminary when he added that really nice first game against the Knicks. And I'm like, oh, you could play. It was, some of it was, you know, he was okay defensively, had a couple blocks and was like kind of where he needed to be overall. But then the shot wasn't falling as much as it was in on opening night. And But I think it was fine. And then Moravia, the primary thing I saw him doing was taking catch and shoot threes. He played 15 minutes and took four of them. And they went in at a reasonable rate, also grabbed a couple of rebounds, two on the offensive glass, three on the defensive glass. I thought he looked fine. You know, defense is a work in progress, as it's going to be for everybody. And David Roddy also took a couple of threes. I... I thought at times he was kind of forcing things a little bit, but that's not a huge surprise. You know, like you're in a game, especially in kind of some ways you're in a game against other young guys. And so there were times where he was doing, but I thought they looked, they looked fine. And like, I was more, I think I'm less concerned about them now than I was after summer league where I really didn't love either Laravia or Roddy, but I still, I'm not, I haven't changed my opinion dramatically. It just, it's a, it's a shade more positive. Yeah, and you think about this Memphis team's track record of developing guys. It's really been quite some time since 
I don't know if it's even happened in the Jenkins era where they've brought a guy in who just didn't work out, a guy who just couldn't give them anything in the rotation. They even got that from Aldama last year at times. But so that's part of why I felt comfortable with the Memphis over, even with the loss of Melton and Anderson. But of course, I was thinking more of Aldama as being a bench guy. And now without, I mean, really their top two pure defensive wings and without jaron jackson we knew he'd be out for at least a little bit they're a little thinner and i'm i'm guessing they probably ran into it on the second night of a back-to-back against the pissed off dallas team but i'm really looking forward to seeing this memphis team really digging in on them on the nba strategy stream tomorrow man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm gonna be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant 
the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code cap space at checkout Please remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us what about from a Houston perspective? Anything that stuck out to you there? Jalen Green. I mean, his explosiveness pops also hit four or five threes, including a banker. Don't expect that to happen every single time. And this will probably be the focus of a 15 and 60, maybe around the halfway point in the season. I don't really have a comparison or analog for what I envision as Jalen Green's eventual role, because I think he has the number one score capability. I mean, he had it in this game for sure, but he doesn't really have those distribution chops, at least not yet. Like he only had two assists, but also he just didn't have that many like create an advantage and then pass it get it to somebody else and there are two ways that can work one is you have somebody else who can do that like you know NBA history better than I do I was thinking maybe somebody like Tracy McGrady not that they play the same way but the idea that he was more of a scorer than a distributor for most of his career and then you get that from somebody else you have a a second player who runs a lot of pick and roll and the other way I I would say for the record I would say Tracy was probably a little bit better of a a passer early on and really at any point in his career, I think he he would have been really good as that heliocentric style of guy if you know he'd come along a few years later personally. But I, I understand what you mean, where it's just you know he could kind of be Jalen Green to be more of like a Bradley Beal type, right? Potentially, yeah. but and you see that a lot with guys who have just the speed that he does. Like when you get on top of the room that quickly, it's almost hard to process where everyone else is on the floor. And we're seeing some craft now from him, a little bit more strength. A little bit more of that snaking the pick and roll, getting guys on his back. And he it's really powerful for him when he can get guys on his back and slow down. Because once he gets the guy on his back, then he has a free runway to accelerate. Once the guy has to kind of slow down for fear of just running him over, now Green can accelerate downhill at the big. So I, I'm still really excited to watch him. Right. The well, defense and I is still working. So I talked about one way of doing it is you bring in that point guard. But the other yeah. way is Jalen Green just gets better. He's 20 years right. old. He'll right. turn 21 in February. And I'm certainly not for closing on the door. We saw we saw him get a little bit more of a hand, get a little bit more of that offensive role on the G League night where Jonathan Kaminga actually did more kind of like creation for others than Jalen Green did. And last year it was a work in progress for the Rockets. It was a, um, less- a little bit more on Green, too. I- sure. I just notice he, he really likes to shoot the jumper going to his right. Like mm-hmm. probably half of the shots that he's taken in these first few games have been just like jumpers going hard right, rising up. Most guys are more comfortable stepping back to the left, which he can also do. But I, I just thought that was interesting that he seems to be very kind of comfortable with that, particularly because when he first came in, he was kind of more bringing the ball up on the left side of his body. And that's where normally guys who do that are not as comfortable shooting going right. But I think now that he's kind of improved his form with John Lucas, maybe he's more comfortable with that. And it's also easier for guys who jump really high to shoot going right because they can continue to orient their body in the air. The reason it's easier to go shoot going left as a right-handed player is you've already got your right side oriented towards the basket. Whereas if you're going right, you got to turn. But when you can jump, you can really do that. Um, 
Yeah. Anything else you want to hit on from this one? I, I had was, a couple of notes, yeah, but go so, ahead. So I thought there was some awkwardness that as things stand right now with Silas's rotation, they were playing at times a second unit front court of Shangun, KJ Martin, and Jabari. And there just didn't really seem like there were necessarily places for everybody to be offensively. I mean, that group has a lot of defensive talent overall. And like, and Shangun had a very efficient night, 23 points, 9 of 13 from the field. And the yeah. Rockets bench outscored and largely, I would say, outplayed the Grizzlies bench, which is that the Grizzlies starters are real, real good. Um, but so I think there's some th- there's some awkwardness there that might end up resolving by just players moving around within the rotation. I think Shingun is eventually going to start and then Jabari's going to be more confident, more comfortable in his jump shot. And then we'll see what happens with KJ Martin. But like I, what I like about the Rockets is they have a lot of guys that have potential and figuring it out isn't necessarily the priority right now because the players are works in progress and the rotation and the roster is a work in progress as well. But there are some, especially when shooting is considered, some awkwardness there. And this was not a great Jabari Smith Jr. game. Yeah, I put a pin in that one because I, I want to use that to talk about their game last night against the Bucks as well. But Shangun, 23 points in 27 minutes coming off the bench, 9 of 13 from the field, 4 of 10 from the foul line. So he yeah. could have had just a ridiculously efficient night. Uh, only had one assist, but also had two turnovers. I thought he had a few moments defensively. He was damning with faint praise, but he's probably the best defensively of the Rocket centers in this one, including Jabari. Yeah, I mean, he was he was in the right place more often than the other two guys were. <laughs> so I think I think that's pretty good. Yeah. And, and Shangun's Shangun's kind of like length and his short area quickness can surprise guys, which is pretty fun. Like he's not surprising them with length like somebody like Robert Williams or Miles Turner does, but he's just in places you don't necessarily expect him to be, and that can work out. And I mean. He has easily the highest ratio of spin moves per minute of anyone in NBA history. I mean, like he is to think that he's dwarfing Pascal Siakam in that specific metric, but he is. Yeah. I mean, he'll throw in multiple ones per possession, but like he's starting actually, because I wondered, and this is again, we're early on here. He had some rough moments in preseason. We'll see the Grizz, you know, didn't have a lot of their guys, but you know, Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark as a backup front court is not bad. Uh, some of these spin moves he's doing, he does. The, he's getting more accurate with these right and left hand hooks. He can because he has this ball handling and these spin moves. He can kind of get right to the charge circle, and he's not explosive, but he can go left shoulder or right shoulder with the hook shot. And if he's going to start making that kind of Jared Allen style at a really high percentage from that range, he's going to be a real problem. Like you're just going to have to double team him, and then he's, he's a pretty good passer as well. And for him and one of the things he created a lot of offense last year but he turned it over a ton wasn't that efficient for him to have this efficient of a night was really impressive five offensive rebounds he actually uh scored on xavier tillman who's a pretty good post defender a couple times tillman was negative 17 in only seven minutes and didn't play a lot as you mentioned that houston bench was solid so he, he's an eye to, a guy to keep an eye on and we'll have to see how that turns out you know with fernando only playing 12 minutes shangun playing 27 you mentioned jabari three of 14 from the field two of eight from three uh, had a couple of shots blocked inside 10 points in 35 minutes negative 31 and that's pretty incredible day when you consider no other rocket was worse than negative 12 in the game so it, he definitely did not help them um i think the the hope that he could play center in some switching groups i love that idea he's still very aggressive shooting the three you know i think that's 
Hopefully we'll go in for him at some point. He's taken some difficult ones. He got up eight in this game, but I, I think it's going to be a work in progress uh, still for him. And I mean, th- there was a hope like, oh, he can come in and like, you know, he's got this defensive chops. Like he, they'll be better on defense now because of him. Maybe that'll be true at the end of the year. It's definitely not true now. And you could look at last night's game in which Giannis Antetokounmpo had, oh, 44 points in 28 minutes. <laughs> Against this Rockets team? Yeah, and so you watched more of this game than I did, but something that stuck out to me in the parts that I watched was in the early going, there were a few possessions where Giannis just caught Jabari Smith off guard. And like, you know, the Euro step, it's so broad, it's so fast that it's, there's a learning curve there. Yeah, and I mean, he, this well, that was his... I mean, going up against Giannis for a guy like Jabari, that's like, you're welcome to the NBA. It it is the baptism by fire. But what concerned me a little bit more, and yes, Giannis is... Yeah, it it was was, uh, Giannis was Hephaestus in this one. Is that was that's that's the the Greek the the, like volcano mm -hmm. uh, Greek god right who like uses fire to like make stuff. I believe so, and and so but so those plays you know that's going to happen. What could they be? And Giannis is also bigger and stronger than damn near everybody. But it was the plays. If the idea is that Jabari Smith can play center, and he's going to have to work on his body, just like basically every player when they get into the NBA, it was more he was in the right place and it wasn't enough and. Three games in, not going to stress too much about this is where he's going to be eventually. But if you're thinking about, well, where does he need to, where does Jabari Smith need to go to get to the point where he can be the guy we want him to be? There's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Like, so even when he's in the right place, he wasn't stopping Giannis at all. No, no. I mean, just getting not backwards, thinking you're in position and then just getting Euro stepped around. Giannis had one play in transition where he knocked him backwards for a dunk. The Rockets transition defense and Granted, it can look bad going against John Morant and Giannis on back-to-back nights. Their transition defense continues to be horrible. And particularly, again, given their their lack of size, the lack of heft. It doesn't help, too, that Jay Sean Tate has been out for them. Right. But, I mean, to give up 44 points to Giannis in, in 20 minutes, and it's not like, oh, hey, we're throwing it to Giannis on an isolation every time in the half court. Like, you know, probably I mean, Giannis's stat line in this 125-105 victory that was never competitive. It was 41 to 23 after the first quarter. So listen to the stat line. 44 points, 17 to 21 from the field, two of three from three. Those are really the only shots he took outside of the basket area that I recalled seeing. Eight of 13 from the line. So their best hope was to follow him. And three assists. So the fact that he could be 17 to 21 and only have three assists, it's like you might want to load the guy a little bit more than that. But most of what he was doing is just transition. You know, and you know, the Bucks were shot 50% from three. Rockets were also shot pretty well from three, but they were atrocious from two against that great Bucks rim protection. That's one one big takeaway I have with the Bucks is Brooke Lopez looks really, really good. Oh, at, yeah. He had, at, he had a big game, big game defending against Joel Embiid in, right. um, earlier. And I wanted to ask you, because you watched this game more closely than I did. Bruno Fernando left that Grizzlies game with a sore knee. And so they, but who they started in his stead, he didn't play against the Bucks, was Usman Garuba. How did you think Garuba looked? Oh, better than some of the other guys, but still it didn't really have much of a chance against Giannis. I, I was more kind of focused in on, on some of the film Sure. This one, so I didn't watch the game in full. I was more just looking at like what some of the players did, and yeah, I mean for for Giannis to just like this is the easiest forty four point game like you're just ever gonna see at plus twenty three in twenty eight minutes. So the the Rockets they're zero three. They've had like, a couple of tough games against good opponents, but it seems like they are 
headed for you know 20 20 wins or so again i mean jabari is it's going to be another guy that they're just gifting playing time to is probably not really ready to be a starter and uh, i think it just the defense has been bad enough still and maybe tate will help them a little bit but that it, it may be tough for silas to make that argument that he needs to make uh, about sticking around but maybe just these guys will develop so well offensively that that'll be the thought or they'll just do another lame dunk duck season with him Let's turn now to Friday night where the Denver Nuggets bounce back from a really rough opening loss against the Jazz. 2-0 as we record this, by the way. And I thought the biggest takeaway that I had, Jamal Murray did not play. Adam Morris called this weeks ago that it, he would miss that this half of the back-to-back because their home opener was the next day. And the Nuggets did beat OKC, although it was a tough one by five uh, at home. Yeah, I'll, ta- Murray, actually talk, yeah. I'll actually talk a little bit about that game. I watched the full fourth quarter after we after we go through Nuggets Warriors. So I thought the biggest takeaway, and this actually continued into the OKC game, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I noted in that Jazz game that he took only three shots. And clearly there is a mandate. We didn't get a chance to talk to them post-game. Uh, to everyone we're only a few people but caldwell pope was fantastic in that game against the warriors just very aggressive even taking some long twos as well and he clearly had a mandate to get up some more shots and given some of the guys that they've had going through there in the absence of jamal murray contavious caldwell pope is actually a better offensive player than those guys caldwell pope 17 points 7 of 14 from the field 3 of 6 from 3 and then bruce brown actually played point guard and this was something that i really liked about that signing was i thought that bruce brown could come in and kind of at least be a secondary ball handler for this team playing with Jokic, and that was a big part of i would guess a why he was able or, or why they were able to get him over some of the other teams that were trying to sign him around that same tax pyramid level number and to say hey when jamal murray is out you can play some point guard you can play some point guard in the second unit and he was fantastic 20 points eight of ten three of four from three actually hit one above the break that looked pretty good five assists so to get 37 points on very efficient shooting out of that backcourt compared to where the nuggets have been even without murray was fantastic Jokic was wasn't really dominating that much but he did have 26 points and 10 assists went 11 11 from the foul line the wrist issue doesn't seem to be bothering him too much he's not taking very many outside shots but the biggest thing for the Nuggets was just that they shot the shit out of the ball five of seven from three five of five for mid-range in the first quarter when they put up 40 points they had 70 in the first half led by 18 at halftime and finished 15 at 34 from three for the game also had 10 steals so this was a, a recipe for the Warriors to just turn over a ton but for Golden State to me the biggest thing that stuck out was Draymond Green was plus 11 in a game they ended up losing by five we talked to him about the end of the game which was fascinating well, well I, before yeah. we get to the end of the game another important section of this was the Warriors second unit we yeah. talked yeah. on opening night on ring night about Steve Kerr going to an all bench unit there are a couple actually different configurations but typically it's Poole, DiVincenzo, James Wiseman, Jamichael Green and Jonathan Kaminga and those lineups got worked in this game it's a big part of why the Nuggets won and the Warriors lost yeah and Green Kaminga and Wiseman against a real team is not going to look good the Lakers bench is pretty bad so they're able to hold up there even though they're slightly in the negative Wiseman to me I think he's I would have liked to have just seen him a little bit more against Jokic, but the second unit got worked against the Nuggets all-bench unit. Much as DeAndre Jordan has been crapped on, he was actually good in this game. He had one huge block, and he looks more athletic than he has in the past a couple of years. 
getting up for alley-oops he was four of four on those in his 14 minutes like they actually got enough from him in this game bones highland came in and struggled more late but he had a three straight buckets at the end of the first he's one of these guys he's shifty and because of his haircut he looks even shiftier because he's got the dread so it's like it's like his whole body is shaking around and it's like you can't it's just distracting and it looks like he's changing speeds and shifting even more than normal there's a couple of guys who have haircuts like that and it actually i think almost accentuates their basketball and but he's an extremely shifty player so he scores three buckets in a row out of pick and roll against a very deep drop by wiseman then the warriors rotate he sets up two three-pointers by jeff green and that got him to that 40 right at the end of the first so bones uh, looked much better than he had in that opener when that they lost to the jazz when uh, the bench got completely destroyed i think jordan what played six minutes it was like negative 13 in that one christian braun was i guess it's brown it's I should brown. say christian braun uh, i watched him work out pre-game and i wasn't convinced by his shot pre-game it, it didn't look like a guy who's ready i think to shoot a high percentage from three got, could probably get a little bit more arc in his shot he's working on not dipping the ball like he's and i think he's a pretty good athlete for his size also doesn't have great length doesn't have big hands he flubbed a couple of finishes early on like and, and you know i stood next to him pre-game and i'm i'm like a legit six six in socks like he i'm taller than him so he he's really to me more of like a two guard size guy i was saying that in summer league too but i think defensively he could be effective there he played 23 minutes and i thought he did a really nice job guarding jordan pool on that second unit pool really struggled 27 minutes two of five to only get up five shots was very interesting particularly given how he really hurt the nuggets in the playoffs last year and you know steph had a great game and that's probably the your other biggest takeaway for the warriors here was steph is looking really good draymond's looking really good early in the year draymond and clay are still on minutes limits and that's part of why they're going to this all bench unit uh, like the, the warriors they've got plenty of leeway to just kind of fuck around and you know we'll see they'll want to get a good seed in the playoffs obviously but everyone looks fine for them you know even wise when i think he looks better than he did his rookie year Kaminga and Poole have kind of struggled offensively jamichael green played 24 minutes he was trying a little bit too hard against the nuggets remember he opted in and then they traded him to okc in a salary dump that's how he ended up with the warriors i, but I think jamichael green will be able to give them something second unit they went with moses moody who played 13 straight minutes actually in the second half over Kaminga. so Kaminga only played in the first and was negative 10 so but the Warriors still, they got plenty of firepower. I'm not worried about them. They kind of came out knowing Jamal Murray wasn't playing, I think, a little bit lackadaisical. Um, two, yeah. other th- two other things, and I'll connect this to the Nuggets-Thunder game, which I watched part of. Yeah. Um, one, Clay Thompson took 14 shots in 24 minutes to lower his usage rate to 32% so far in two games this year. It's going to be something yeah. we watch. But 10 of those were threes. That's yeah. When Clay starts really gunning it's when he's dribbling too much when he's taking long twos like if he's basically any three-pointer that clay takes i I don't think is a bad shot and then you brought up christian brown and i think that he so he's the connector that i wanted to make between well, well actually games. before you before sure. you transition let me sure. talk a little bit about the end of the game because I okay of course I think, yeah sorry I forgot first off I, I wanted to say i thought the nuggets pick and roll defense was better and the Jokic was up to touch did a better job of containing the ball particularly against pool and it helped that the warriors didn't have much spacing so i asked him about i was like hey why did it look better you know i thought maybe he was going to mention like the 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 guards caldwell pope and Braun, and those are obviously much better defensive players than they've had in those spots the last couple of years but here's what Jokic had to say when i asked him about that 
uh, in the playoffs last year, you know, obviously you lost in five. It, this game, it seemed like you did a, a better job as a team containing the ball in pick and roll. Did, did you see that? And if so, uh, what was it that enabled you to do a better job uh, in this game? Uh, uh, maybe in the players, they play with the Draymond on the five a little bit more. That's the difference. Uh, uh, I think they put me in, a, in the playoff. They put me a lot more pick and roll with me, uh, especially those high pick and rolls. They did that a lot. So, you know, maybe they're just trying to. Uh, the season starts, so they, they they just try to get going. I don't know. So, um, I don't know. Did yes, we maybe did a little bit better job, but we had so so many um, defensive uh, defensive mistakes, and they had a couple easy layups. Uh, backdoor cuts or whatever, and we didn't rebound well. Uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe we did a good, better job with that. I really enjoy Nikola Jokic. Uh, those comments to me, just the humility. Giannis is like this too, of these guys who are at the absolute top of their sport, but who still recognize the ways that they can get better. They don't feel like discussing these things as somehow a sign of weakness, and you can never admit it, even the slightest issue that you have in your game, because that's how a lot of players seem to approach it and get prickly about it. it just and i think it was an accurate assessment honestly and i i hadn't thought about that as much and so maybe you can't take away as much from this as i was hoping they could to maybe say hey they, they look a little bit better like you know they didn't play Draymond at center really at all in this game until the very very end although i do think the nuggets controlled it pretty well they looked better against the three guard lineup than the lakers did but yeah you know they didn't do as good of a job of putting Jokic in space he did a good job within what they did but they didn't challenge him quite as much so i thought that was a great point anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
The other thing that was fascinating at the end of this game, the Warriors started putting some pressure on. Nuggets had some turnovers. Warriors started getting hot from three at the end, although they were only 15 of 44 in the end. I mean, as much as you want to talk about all the things that happened in this game, the Nuggets shot 44% from three and the Warriors shot 34% from three. Down five, Warriors are attacking with about 25 seconds left. And Jokic takes a foul on Draymond Green with the ball pretty early on in a possession. There's no take foul rule at that point in the game, but it was it was a take foul. They're up and send Draymond to the line. I guess they were worried about giving up a three there. What did especially, you think? Especially of, a Steph Curry yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think of, the, of that decision? 25 seconds off, up five. Draymond's not a great free throw shooter. He's 70% career. What do you think of that decision? I did not get a chance to ask Michael Malone about it because I was watching the end of Phoenix in Portland and I, I missed his interview. I I hope someone asked, would ask him about it. I don't think anyone did, but uh, what do you think of that? I, I, it was fascinating so, to me. It is fascinating. Uh, the expected value proposition of it is actually not great because even though you eliminate the chance of the team scoring three, the chance that they score, you know, the, the points per trip down are actually pretty similar. Draymond's, you know, 70% free throw shooter. It's not like he's 40 or something like that. But the bigger problem that I have with it isn't and i know there's the emotional effect of if you give up a three and it goes in but even as great as steph is you know maybe that's a 40 percent proposition is that you're not letting the timer off because when you're at five the biggest tool that you have at your disposal is the clock running out like the warriors just not having enough time to get those shots up and so you give an extra five to ten to fifteen seconds for variance to happen and we saw that variance happen with what happened after Draymond's free throws yeah even with Steph Curry being an amazing shooter there's not more than a 50 percent chance he's going to make a three and hey you know what if you want to say hey we're going to be a no threes defense at least you force them to go to the basket and make a layup and use more time that was the biggest thing it's just not forcing them to use time and I think what gets missed there is if they miss the three and you get the rebound, like the game is completely, completely over at that point. And I think it was just underrating that possibility. And then even if they do score, underrating the value of, hey, you know what? We're still up two with the ball, with good free throw shooters, but now there's 15 seconds left instead of 25 or whatever it ended up being. So yeah, then they inbound. Green does make both free throws. Now part of he isn't necessarily going to make both free throws, but you're also in a situation where maybe he hits one, then they get the offensive rebound, then they get a three, you're only up one, and now they're going to get a chance to get the ball in the air in one way or another to tie it, or at least have possession where they could tie it. So they inbound the ball off the free throw. They put in Bones Highland to get more free throw shooting and ball handling, throw it to Bones in the corner, or actually I think they got it into him. He got double teamed. He retreats to the corner, tries to throw it back to Jokic. Jordan Poole steals it, maybe even could have been an and one. So because the three-point game here, Jokic gets out of the way, avoids fouling, and then as soon as Poole puts the ball through the hoop, like 15 seconds left, Nikola Jokic grabs the ball and immediately just steps out of bounds and tosses it full court to Bruce Brown, wide open for a dunk to put them back up by three. It was just an unbelievable play. He got asked about that post game by Kendra, and he was just like, yeah, I knew there was, I saw a lot of Warriors jerseys on this side of the floor. I knew someone would be open at the other end, but just to like, to not be like, oh my God, slumped shoulders, timeout, we got to regroup, just be like, nope. It was just a one-point game. We completely blew this lead. We were up by 10 with two minutes left. We were up by seven inside of a minute. No slump shoulders. Just grab the ball, throw it for a dunk. 
was amazing. Jokic is the goddamn best. And I mean, also yeah. the best, also the best quarterback in the great city of Denver at the moment. And I mean, to, to <laughs> and the, the composure of that, you know, as you brought up, you know, that you just had this crazy circumstance happening at a five point lead. It's almost entirely evaporated, but you still need, if you do something right, right then, then you're still going to win the game. And then they ended up doing that. Getting the 128-123 victory was very yeah, important. And, and one other thing, too, the Warriors did get a shot in the air to tie. <clears throat> and Clay thought he got fouled on it. It was a very deep three from the logo. I thought, especially given that the Nuggets were like, oh, we're going to foul Draymond Green here. I thought surely they would foul someone. Up three. Up three. But maybe they felt like there's a little bit too much time left at that point. I, uh, Clay's shot ended up not being close. But Clay is usually, if you're a Warriors opponent, they're all worried about Steph at the end of the game. On a sideline out of bounds, I think Clay is usually the guy they're going to go to because he just has the size to get his shot off. Like, Steph is not amazing in those situations. I think you want Steph initiating the play, but he's not a great guy. Like one of the few weaknesses in, of his game is he's not a guy who can just, like, come off a screen and just rise up. Like, if you want to just stop him on an inbounds play, you might have to double team, but he can't just, like, get that shot off over a larger player, whereas Clay can. And so, usually, I think they're going to go to him. I mean, obviously, you don't want to leave stuff open, but you can kind of be aware that the play may not be for stuff in that situation. All right, you wanted to, to talk a little bit about that Nuggets OKC game. I did. OKC has been competitive. They've been close in, in both of their games, though I'm I'm sure they're organizationally not too beat up at the fact that they ended up with two close losses on the road to good teams where they they lost by seven to the Wolves and then they lost by eventually five to the Denver Nuggets. And why I wanted Christian Brown as the through line is that and um, Matt Moore talked about this. He's, of course, connect, you know, knows the knows the Nuggets well, is that in this game, even though the Nuggets were outscored by four points in his minutes it looks like christian brown has solidified a second unit role it was kind of yeah, seems and like this was, was with murray back for this with game, murray so, back exactly yeah. so it seems like what they're going to do is start murray kcp who had some big threes late in this game gordon porter and Jokic, which is not a surprising starting five and then bruce brown is the second is the like the sixth man and bones is there too and then the other spots is going to be jeff green either zeke naji who played in this one or deandre jordan and then you have that other spot i thought the heavy leader going into camp going into everything else was devon reed who even though the nuggets did not convert him last year much to the dismay of michael malone he is on the team now in a full capacity and you know kind of fit that role but christian brown active defensively hit three of his four three-pointers had a pretty big one in the fourth quarter as well Looks like he's solidified that role. And Brown, for those who are less familiar, played a couple years at Kansas. So he's already 21 now. This is his age 21 season. But he'll turn 22 before, right around the start of the playoffs. And you, you talked a little bit about his kind of like physical profile, but that the intensity that he plays with, I think that he's at a spot. And I mean, for a, for a rookie taken in the late first to have a rotation spot, at least a regular season rotation spot on a playoff team is a notable development. The yeah. rest of also the game, notable, he did not play in their opening night loss to Utah. So that right. was a change that Michael Malone made. And in this one, Bones Highland didn't play hardly at all. He was negative 15, uh, had one point in 14 minutes. So it seems like they went to some, some again, Bruce Brown at point guard rather than Highland uh, on with their second group. Um, one one thing that yeah. really frustrated me about the Nuggets in this game, like I, I use the phrase threat assessment all the time, and it's kind of understanding what players want to do. And so there were these circumstances. I can't pinpoint which Nugget was primarily at fault, 
But Josh Giddy, who ended up having a reasonably efficient for his Sanders offensive game, 19 points, 8 of 17 from the field, but also only one turnover, and that's where I want to tie this in, is that so in the late part of the game, OKC's, they're, they're in there, but they're kind of always trying to come back. Like it was going from five to three or two, not really OKC getting all the way to the lead, was Josh Giddy has the ball at the top. And, you know, he's not getting anything too dangerous. But then the, so he's moving, a, Giddy's moving a little bit to his right. And so the defender on the left corner is kind of coming in a little bit because the action's on the other side. That is exactly what Josh Giddy wants because Josh Giddy can throw that right-handed goddamn missile to the corner and get a wide open three. And so Jeremiah Robinson Earl actually hit two big three-pointers that kept the Thunder alive. And it's like, all you have to do in that circumstance is not leave your guy. I know Robinson Earl isn't the greatest shooter in the world, but the idea that what they want on the play, because Giddy is such an unbelievable passer, is they want that pass to the weak side. So don't give them that pass to the weak side. Couple other small notes here. Michael Porter Jr., his jumper looks back. And that nope. was the biggest thing that was such a concern for him was just he, he couldn't hit a shot early last year before the surgery. 9.5 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Eh, he's only he's making 50% of them. <laughs> Not bad. 69% true shooting on the season. The Nuggets have been shooting the shit out of the ball after that 15 of 34 against the Warriors. They're 20 of 38 in this game. Maybe a little concerning that they couldn't blow out OKC even with that number. And Jokic, second night of a back-to-back, has to play 39 minutes. Now, he hasn't been really a high-usage offensive player yet as far as his own score. I mean, I think he's taken like 17, 13, and 10 field goal attempts so far and he he would rather be much more of a passer they always have him as a score available but when everyone else has it working he doesn't necessarily have to spend as much time there and maybe him focusing a little bit more on defense and and just his role within a game being lessened some as a score which is more how he wants to play anyway frankly naturally uh, maybe that's how they can kind of get him through the season but early on he's been playing a ton of minutes michael porter jr i thought looked much better on defense against the warriors in person he had a couple of plays in isolation against steph one where he actually blocked him from behind uh and just didn't have any of those just total brain fart plays either so that was he gave them defense that i think looked passable in that game against golden state again noting that when draymond was on the floor golden state looked pretty good and they weren't playing the real lines but the nuggets didn't have jamal murray either so i i do hope that matchup happens again with these teams at full strength that would be an incredible series golden state and denver couple other quick notes on Nuggets Thunder. Yeah. Um, so part of the reason OKC was able to stay in it is that Denver shot 18 of 31 from the free throw line. And so they, mm. they missed, um, Aaron Gordon missed four. Jokic was six and nine. Um, a couple notes that he struggles with shooting with MVP chance, kind of like there was a time that Steph Curry missed more there. And also OKC shot pretty well. They were 15 of 38 from long distance. But in a somewhat concerning development, it wasn't the starters. Shea Gildas-Alexander, who had an efficient overall night, he had 20. 28 points on 11 to 24, though he did have five turnovers. But Shea and Lou Dort were a combined two of 12 from three. The efficiency came from the bench. Muscala, Trey Mann, Darius Baisley. And so that's okay. You know, those guys are a part of your rotation. They're a part of what you're trying to do out there. But you'd love to see it be Lou Dort instead of going three for 13 from the field, one for seven from three, him making some more shots. And then another interesting thing, I, I keep on praising Mark Dagnall because I think his team plays with a lot of energy and they, they do a nice job defensively despite having limited defensive talent. They're starting Robinson Earl and Poku and Pokushevsky, but they're both not playing a ton of minutes in this one, you know, and I mean, they were horrendously outscored in those minutes, partially because the Nuggets starting five is pretty damn good. 
but they're doing a real mix there. They're playing Muscala, Kenrich Williams, who they gave an extension to, and Baisley. Like, those are other front court options, and depending on how you want to define Aaron Wiggins. So I think Dagnalt is trying, you know, he's getting more out of his players than I expected, and they're losing, they're losing these close games against good teams. But honestly, that's a positive. But the thing that I'm going to have to watch much more closely with the Thunder is the valuation point for the season. I mean, I I think that things are looking good for the coach and all that is, well, what if these players are starters long term? What do these players are clear cut NBA rotation players? Because they're not at the point yet where the rubber meets the road, where you have to figure out, well, what are we actually going to be when we're a good team? But you do need to figure out who is actually good, who is who are the centerpieces, who are the other parts of it, and, you know, still figuring out what I think there. Yeah, also, sad news for OKC, Jalen Williams is going to miss, looks like, a couple of weeks with the facial fracture that he suffered six minutes Shit. into his rookie campaign uh, when he got fouled by Jaden McDaniels uh, against the Wolves. You want to talk about Hawks Magic? Yes, Friday. This, that was a, a game that I, I watched the next morning, and couple i would say a game that maybe you know you'd say with a 108 98 game you know not as necessarily the most dominant offensive performance you'd say like well why is it that you walk away from that game feeling better about both teams and from the hawks perspective i think they're getting a better sense of how to how to get Trey Young and DeJounte Murray kind of the balance there. And so the there, there there had been in the preseason some frustrating times where it was kind of like your turn, my turn. And the, the problem, and this is what something I articulate about DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, is that Tra- it should be Trey Young's turn most of the time when he's on the floor because he's he's that good, even though he can be a capable offensive player. And yeah, Seth, Seth noted this uh, that in the first game, Trey did spend more time off the ball and he had four catch and shoot threes uh, in their opener. Uh, I don't know. I obviously didn't watch this game. He, he had he had fewer, yeah. I believe. I think it was probably like two or three attempts in this one, in part because Trey Young couldn't hit anything in the first half. Um, but then what? What you get the benefit with DeJounte Murray, and I thought this was really important in uh, determining the outcome of Hawks Magic, was in the very beginning of the Murray only minutes, they were kind of using, they were using different players to create. There was a little bit going with Aaron Holiday. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is the DeJounte Murray show. And he started pushing the ball more in transition, started being more aggressive, started having more of his assists. He ended up with nine in the game. And the Hawks have had this real problem over the years of what do we do offensively when Trey Young is off the floor? And as much as he's overqualified for the role, DeJounte Murray can be very good there. I thought that the Hawks played with a lot more intensity. They played with a lot more offensive vitality when DeJounte was out there in those non-Trey units. And then Trey started hitting threes in the second half, and that's really where things started settled because Orlando had the lead at halftime. And a big part of why they did, two players, number one pick, Paolo Bancaro. He had a nice game overall, not quite at the heights of some of it before. He had 20 points, 6-18 from the field. And then the other one was Cole Anthony came off the bench. They started Jalen Suggs, who got injured. He turned his ankle. We don't have a timeline there. And Terrence Ross. But Cole Anthony comes off the bench and just starts drilling threes, ends up with 25 points. Yeah, he, he he may end up starting for this team, but he was questionable due to an illness coming right. in. So that's probably why he yes. came off the bench. That's probably why he came off the bench. So he had uh, Cole Anthony, 25 points in 28 minutes on 15 shooting possessions. And he was really did a good job. And I actually thought they should have had DeJounte Murray on him a little bit more often. Cole Anthony looked great. But I want to talk a little bit more about Van Carroll. We'll, of course, talk about him a lot over the yeah. course of the year. But what one of my favorite things about Paolo is that he 
has the right approach. And so he'll he'll try to create sometimes on his own. You know, he thinks he has a good one-on-one matchup, but when he doesn't have anything, he just gets the hell out of it and he passes to somebody else. He's even when he's trying to do something himself, he's looking to see if somebody else is more open. And that's what can lead to good opportunities for this team. And like we're seeing more creation from Franz Wagner than I expected. Even I, there, that was actually something I like better in his Michigan film than almost anything else. And he's doing better there. So I don't I, I like you, you have a lot of players that can that can do good things i'd love to see somebody who just really creates more advantages whether that is the development of cole anthony or markel fultz coming back or jalen suggs or you draft somebody or assign somebody who can do that but they're like the magic they have a lot of the like kind of the building blocks that i really like bankero is an important part of that and we'll see we'll see where it goes moving forward but you know i had him number one on my board i really liked him this is a part of why i liked him but it's very encouraging one other thing I wanted to mention uh, that I thought was was fascinating about this game, and it even harkens back, I, I, your memory's usually better than mine, so I'm sure you remember this. So going back to when you and I attended Adidas Nations all those years ago, so that's typically like high school age kids. And I, there, are some, there are some college guys, that's actually the first time I ever saw Donovan Mitchell live, and we saw Wendell Carter there. And what intrigued me about him was, you know, he has defensive chops, but also like kind of had the early stages of a three-point shot. And against the Hawks, I thought Wendell Carter, like it, it, it was sort of funny because I brought this up with Paolo in the, in the draft stuff of like if you froze the if you froze it when he took the shot, everything like leading up to it and everything looked good. For Wendell Carter taking these three pointers, he looked good. Like the you know he had a couple in trail three, actually had pretty good footwork moving out to the corner three, which is not something that most centers have the capacity to do, especially if you're you know like kind of it's a cool little lower usage part. But unfortunately for the Magic in this one, he missed all seven of those. And Carter is he's so far this year he's at two of ten. So because he was I think two of three in their opening game, but Carter. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not looking at the O of seven, you're looking at the mechanics, you're looking at the footwork there. And he did shoot 33% last year. You're going to probably need to get a little bit above that for a team to actually really care about it, for that to be an oh shit moment for the opposing defense. But being able to get some points where you fit in, especially now that it looks like the Magic have some of their higher usage guys, so Wendell Carter can get into the role that he needs to be. I, you know, it's funny to say in a game when a guy, when a game when a guy misses, misses all seven of his threes, scores 14 points on 13, on 13 shot shots. And if we want to expand it out, like 18 shooting possessions, but there's a, and I mean, also the magic are just fun as hell to watch. Like there's a lot that I really like about this team. Yeah. Wendell Carter and Isaiah Stewart are two really interesting swing pieces for their teams. It seems like the Pistons want Stewart to even play some four. They drafted Jalen Duran over the top of him, but his shooting ability, Carter's shooting ability, can those guys be solid defensive centers who also can stretch out to the three-point line, defend with some versatility, but also protect the rim? Like, I think those guys may not be you know, all-star level of players or even sub-all-stars, but they also may be able to develop the versatility to really open things up for some of the other players on those teams. For Atlanta, we'll... Lock in on them even more. Trey's had a rough start to the year, but John Collins has been a monster. 82% true shooting on 20% usage. Again, these first two games, the Hawks, where they haven't looked incredibly impressive, but it, they've taken care of business. And I mean, who they play in the first game? The Spurs? No, that's not they, right. They played Houston. That's right. Yeah. So Houston, Orlando at home, Cola schedule, but they're 2 0. 
that's what you need to do during that, even if they haven't been particularly dominant yet. And also worth noting that Bogdan still hasn't played. They right. And that actually yeah. led to well, an amusing moment. It was in the very beginning of the game with Terrence Ross starting. I'm like, oh, he's going to have to guard somebody. It's not going to be Trey Young. It's not going to be DeJounte Murray. So they put Terrence Ross on DeAndre Hunter, and he ends up scoring the Hawks for six points. He only ended up with 12 in the game, but it was the idea of like, well, this is our advantage. We're going to go there. He had a th- had a three where Ross helped too much off the corner and then had a, I think it was a, a two and a foul. And, you know, Hunter, I, it seems like he's going to be the starter even after Bogdan comes back, especially with the big contract that the Hawks gave him. And you need wing-sized defenders and all that type of stuff. And something else we'll need to keep an eye on for Atlanta is the balance between Clint Capella and, and Onyeka Okongwu. Kongwu played, it was 16 minutes for Kongwu and 32 for Capella, but that is going to be a, a calibrator for how Nate McMillan, how Travis Schlenk in the front office are seeing that. And, you know, Capella's on a, on a reasonable contract as long as he can stay healthy. And if they see a Kongwu at some point as the heir apparent or even the apparent, not the heir, then that could shift things for this overall rotation and honestly kind of in some ways the theory of the hawks even if their intention with a kongwu might be somewhat similar to capella at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Checking in on the Hawks' young guys. A.J. Griffin did not play, despite the fact that they could use some shooting. Aaron Holiday instead played as the main guard off the bench. And then Jalen Johnson, every other Hawk was in the positive, except for him, and he was negative 16 that's something to watch is whether, you know, when Bogdan comes back, will they just play Justin Holiday at the four and Jalen Johnson won't be in the rotation? They moved on from Mo Harkless in part because I think they wanted to give Jalen Johnson a look. And that's what you do. You give a guy like that a chance to at least earn some rotation minutes. But uh, that number is a, yeah. a pretty grisly I, one. And then yeah, I will say, I didn't think Johnson played particularly poorly. It, it was true that they did that. And there was this weird moment where the bizarro second unit front court of Bamba and Bull Bull actually looked kind of good. But I still think that unit, part of the reason it was happening was they were missing shots. Jalen Johnson missed two threes during that stretch, but I didn't think it was, oh, he's the reason why they've gotten outscored so heinously in these minutes. Yeah, and when they get healthy, I'll be interested to see whether Bull Bull actually continues to get some rotation minutes. Like, it looks like he's been semi-competent. How, how are we defining, and also with the Magic, how are we defining healthy here? Is that Jonathan Isaac? Yeah, I guess that's probably right. Yeah, so may- maybe he will be in the yeah. By the way, I thought the I thought Chumo KK looked good overall. I I I you know, he's a, I don't know that there's a a start a, a starter in there necessarily. I'm open to the possibility, but if it were me and like you get a couple of these guys back and you have to choose between Chuma and Bull Bull, I'm taking KK every time. We can do a, a few smaller notes on some of these teams that we hope to maybe do full gamers on pretty shortly. Pistons Knicks. I happened to turn this on for the key portion of the game. And unfortunately for the Pistons and Dwayne Casey, the key portion of the game is whenever they go to this five man bench unit and that 
group was negative 16 in five minutes coming in at the end of the first quarter and the game was basically over by that point and i noted again the way the knicks who blew out the pistons ultimately 130 106 on friday some of these plus minuses off the knicks bench obi toppin plus 25 hartenstein plus 21 derrick rose plus 23 and 16 minutes three or four from downtown emmanuel quickly plus 27 and it was such a blowout these guys played even more in the second half but you know joseph negative 26 for the game in 12 minutes this is their fucking bench unit danny and they play all these guys together let's let's start with this who who would you say is the best shooter of this five-man bench unit oh no (laughs) it's a toss-up between Corey joseph and kevin knox oh boy yeah i mean you have that but then beyond beyond just the struggles there in this game well well, can we just say who's on this unit yes real quickly so it's so right now and this will change when they get marvin bagley back but he's out for oh oh, oh, well okay get marvin bagley back because they might start him over bojan bogdanovich and then bogdanovich is obviously the best shooter in the yeah. second unit but the lineup Corey joseph killian hayes hamadou diallo kevin knox jalen duran <sighs> I, I mean it's really throwing diallo in there that's the part that's truly insane right like just if you must play a five-man bench unit just put rodney mcgruder in there just someone who can stand at the three-point line and make a shot put fucking buddy Bayheim in there if you have to it just killian hayes and diallo and duran and joseph who can make a, a three but he takes five hours to get the shot off it just how how can you possibly expect that unit to do anything against anybody like how are you not staggering at that point i just wow it, it's like this when we say hey troy weaver you do a pretty good job of identifying talent at times they found some good guys later in the draft like bay and stewart the boy on trade for basically nothing was pretty good like he just other than that just has no idea of like how to build it like they're they're ostensibly trying this year i mean maybe this is like the stuff well and tank. i mean it is worth noting that they don't have alec burks and nerland's noel and well you know, well noel i think they had a pretty good idea that he sure. he wasn't gonna be, i mean that that wasn't part of yeah, the idea like they're gonna play duran obviously so that's i i don't give him much for that i mean it's just and like alec burks i don't know if he's saving the second unit necessarily I mean, he's, and he's helping back he's definitely like, not hurting let's put it that way he would he would no. be their their best player by a margin yeah so it's just like man you just it see i i really am concerned and Dwayne casey as well like maybe maybe throw kate cunningham out there with these guys just so you're not gonna get completely destroyed like or J- or yeah. Jaden ivy at least like you know some somebody who can because they, they, yeah. they i mean it, it's it's a challenge um yeah for, I, I mean for- kate cunningham for kate cunningham to play 32 minutes be even for the game and they lost by 24 it's just insane now Cade's jumper is still off like he's it seems like he's gonna go like six to 16 every game for a while here until he starts to rediscover his jumper but still it's just yeah and by the way on that that's where i thought with the city bay thing i was gonna go is the pistons shot nine of 36 from three in this game and city bay was four of eight which means (laughs) the rest of the team was five for 28 on threes oh oh, and and the bench here here's your bench for uh, other than Roddy Magruder, who played an extended garbage time, they're 0 of 7 on threes off the bench. But these guys are playing like they all played 15 minutes, basically, or more. And they only got up seven threes for this bench unit and didn't make any of them. Yeah, it, it's a problem. And by comparison, the Knicks were absolutely on fire from three. They were 16 of 38. 42% is actually quite good. Randall hit a couple threes. Brunson hit a couple threes. Fournier did as well. And then in, when we got more into garbage time, of course, they had other players that could do it. 
I mean, we it's hard in a game that has this much garbage, but Mitchell Robinson, 23 minutes, Isaiah Hartenstein, 21. Mm, gonna keep gonna keep going in that direction. Like, I mean, I've, yeah. I mean, we wondered about who was the better player. I mean, I think you and I both on our free agent board had Hartenstein higher. And that'll be something worth watching. But, you know, another I would say another positive game overall from Julius Randle. And it was the bench that won them this one. But, you know, I mean, the Knicks are the Knicks are one and one and their loss came to a superior team on the road and they took it to overtime. Indiana and San Antonio. San Antonio has now won two straight, beating Philly yesterday on the second night of a back to back. That's pretty crazy. Philly actually had a, a night of rest. Uh, they are starting Jeremy Sohan. I, I watched some of their game against the Pacers, and they went crazy. Josh Richardson was hitting every three. This ended up being 137-134. I didn't see how it got close at the end, but I think it might have just been somewhat cosmetic because the Spurs were up double digits and you know 15 to 20 basically the whole game so Spurs shot it well they're starting Sohan at the four which is interesting we kind of thought maybe what they would do is they would start one of their shooting guards like Josh Primo and then have Vassell at the three and Kelton Johnson at the four instead they're actually starting Vassell at the two and he had a nice bounce back game after a nightmare shooter shooting game in the opener against Charlotte and it's crazy how things can shift, right? Like they got destroyed at home by Charlotte in the first game and now they're two and one. But Sohan, it's kind of, he's given them a little bit more size defensively, right? I mean, if you look at that starting group, that's actually a pretty good defensive starting group. Trey Jones is one of the better defensive point guards in the NBA. Vassell at the two rather than the three. Keldon Johnson at the three. Sohan's got good size and they got Yaka Pearl behind him. That starting group should be able to defend enough to be pretty competent. And, you know, then Josh Richardson comes in and makes every three-pointer. You know, that that helps a lot, too. And they tried playing Primo at backup point in the first game. It didn't go so well, but they got more out of their bench in this one. I mean, Primo Primo only had three points, but he had seven assists in 21 minutes as the Spurs outscored the Pacers second when in his minutes, he was plus 14, which was the second best on San Antonio. Yeah, and so the Spurs were 16 to 28 from three through three quarters. Trey Jones, he's still, uh, his shooting's a little questionable, though he had a, a couple of really ugly misses from three being wide open. Um, we didn't talk about this, I don't think, early on, but I, I, you saw it in this game that a point of education this year is when guys try to go under the screen, a lot of times the screener will choose that particular moment to begin his quote-unquote roll to the basket. And this is more up top, right? It's, it's not the same as the Gortat roll because that's rolling into your own man and setting a screen. This is... Oh, the defense is going to go under. Okay, I'm going to start my roll to the basket now. So if you want to go under, you have to just like go even further down around me. It's basically you're setting a moving screen at that point under the guise of rolling to the basket. So we actually saw that called in this game, which I think is a, a good point of education to where you're not letting the guy go under. You got to be stationary if the guy is trying to go under until he clears you. I think that's reasonable. Uh, Aaron Neesmith is back for the Pacers. We thought with the, I think it was a, a plantar fascia issue that he, he might miss some time, but the biggest takeaway and the Pacers won yesterday against the Pistons in Indiana. And is Ben Matherin ever going to have a bad game? Like his stats for the season so far, are ridiculous. He was unbelievable in summer league. Like this guy has just been fantastic so far. So we can get it out there so far. Ben Matherin coming off the bench for the Pacers, 24 points, 
six and a half rebounds, two assists in 29 minutes a game. For those who prefer it, 23.5 PER, 66% true shooting on 27 usage. And I mean, he's he's been awesome. I, and I mean, he's done a pretty good job defensively as well. Like, I mean, this Pacers team doesn't, especially with ball boy enemy or however we're defining it, Miles Turner still being out and they're starting Terry Taylor <laughs> basically at the five. Um, I mean, Matherin's been absolutely awesome. We'll talk more about yeah. Keegan Murray. The, these Pacers games are going to be absolute track meets until Turner gets back, and probably, frankly, while he's after. still there. But. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be there after too, and it'll. It, yeah. But it's been that part of it. But yeah, I mean, and, and Tyrese been- Halliburton, his stats have been fantastic too. Twenty eight usage. 30 PR, 64% true shooting. Some has 5% offensive rebounds, uh, not turning it over that much. He's been great getting steals. He's averaging 11 assists per 36 minutes and even getting to the foul lines, 37% uh, free throw rate, which is yeah, really exciting for him. That's a great way for him to boost his efficiency. And, well, and yeah, and another that, one that of these was actually, teams. Yeah. To, sorry, to me, that was a big part of the story in the in that Spurs game. I, I was I yeah. watched the first quarter and then I was I, I was watching a little less after that. Hal Burton and Matherin, 16 free throw attempts combined. And I mean, those are two backcourt players. Their frontcourt didn't get to the line at all other than Isaiah Jackson getting four. But those two players, you know, that could be another part of the offensive foundation. And eh, probably not going to do 16 every game. But if, if Hal Burton and Matherin get there a little bit, gives them some. Yeah, and Chris Duarte is starting over Matherin right now. And he's played less than 20 minutes a game, though. 2.6 PER for him. He had one big dunk uh, yesterday against the Pistons but other than that he, he's really been struggling these first three games so that'll be something to monitor but I mean Matherin is going to close he's going to play more minutes in this uh his age 20 season than Duarte anyway I think it probably doesn't matter too much well and and one start and one quick note we're not doing that game um but in their Saturday matchup against the Pistons they changed their starting five but it wasn't bringing Ben Matherin it was bringing Aaron Neesmith and he came back he's and, and he played 23 so we'll see how this yeah. work i mean there's a lot to work out nemhard played 30 minutes against the spurs and then played nine minutes the next day and mcconnell he played 17 and i think 17 and 9 something like that 17 13 yeah and that what one thing they're trying to do on the second unit is just play those guys together neither of them of course are great offensive forces but if you don't have a great score on the second unit you can juice the offense by just playing two point guards together and nemhard to me has looked way better than he looked in summer league i think just having more spacing more comfort with his teammates uh, he's looked better running pick and roll as well and, and even has uh, made some shots uh, that was my biggest concern about him and we'll see whether the scouting report gets out on him to kind of let him shoot but he's it's not like he hasn't been doing anything 19 percent usage so he might end up being the guy that they drafted him to be even though I didn't like that pick that much, but he's looked much better so far. Oh, we should note that part of the reason why Duarte's minutes have been limited is he left with a facial. He left with a facial injury, but I think that was earlier in the week. Yeah, he did play yesterday. Yeah. And let's see if there's any of these other ones I want to hit briefly. Yeah, Minnesota, Utah. Watch the end of this one, and obviously Utah revenge game. They're up most of the game. D'Angelo Russell did hit the ice in his veins, tying two point jumper. They actually, it looked like they ran the play for him. They had a pick and roll with Edwards, swung it to Ed, um, to Russell against Mike Conley, and Russell had the size advantage there. Took a couple of dribbles, shed Conley, knocked him all the way into the baseline with a well timed forearm, and then drained the jumper off the glass. There are some huge dunks in this one. Marketing got Gobert pretty good. Then Gobert got marketing again when he tried him one more time. Uh, Rudy Gobert had two free throws to tie it with 34 seconds left. Missed both of them 
in the overtime. And then Lowry marketing got to the nail, hit a tough fadeaway against, I think it was Russell to ice it. Um, Mike Conley continues to be pretty good. The, the Jazz closed it out with Conley and Clarkson in the backcourt rather than Sexton. Sexton just got in on their attempt to tie it at the end of right or take the lead, I should say, at the end of regulation. By the way, I absolutely love that a Jared Vanderbilt revenge game, and this is so appropriate for him, against the Minnesota Timberwolves was four points, 14 rebounds, four assists, four steals, and plus 12. It's like, that's yeah. totally a Jared Vanderbilt game. Yeah, and this was kind of a Rudy Gobert offensive game. I mentioned those missed free throws that he had. He had nine offensive rebounds, but really didn't score hardly at all. That was kind of going back to that Dallas series where the offensive rebounding looks good, but he's not able to actually turn that into points eventually. Also, and for oh, minutes, so, yeah, good. Sorry. sorry. One thing I want to mention, this is something I'm going to track probably all year with Chris Finch's rotation is only in an overtime game, only three Timberwolves off the bench played double digit minutes. Torian Prince, 18, Jordan McLaughlin, 15, Jalen Noel, 20. And so that means they're leaning more on kind of splitting up the centers a little bit. Nas Reed only played nine. And then, you know, you don't you don't really have as much if you're I mean, they it, part of it's because it went to overtime, but they're playing their starters, you know, reasonable minutes. And th- I think they with this team's a little bit shorthanded. They trust their starters a whole hell of a lot more than they trust their bench. Yeah, well, Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns are just gonna have to play better. They've had yeah. two games against OKC and Utah and 10 PR, 47 percent true shooting for Anthony Edwards. And Carl Anthony Towns has been even worse. 9.5 PR and 47% true shooting for him. Both of them have turned the ball over more than you would like to see. Also, uh, Jane McDaniels has shot well to start the year, but he hasn't been a featured part of the offense. So it's looking a little clunky right now for the Wolves on the offensive end and just where Edwards going to get a shot to where Carl Anthony Towns is going to get a shot. I noted in the opener that Towns really was not getting hardly any two pointers. And so, and let's keep in mind for Towns too, that he had this throat infection where he was hospitalized during camp. So it's going to take him some time to get back into it. Like with Joel Embiid, Joel, it's come out that he had this plantar fasciitis over the summer and basically was not able to do any work for two months. And Joel is not one of these guys who's going to watch his diet when he's not working. And so I I think he's still working his way back into shape as well. Uh, He did have 40 in in their loss against the Spurs. And quickly, uh, again, this doesn't count as a full breakdown, but Chicago and Washington, Washington beat the Bulls. The late lineup for Chicago, who have now moved to one and two, they had that great win against Miami in the first game of the season, but it's kind of been a little ugly since then. They got destroyed by Cleveland last night. Their late lineup was Dragic, Caruso, Kobe White, Jamar DeRozan, and Vucevic. The Wizards actually responded with Anthony Gill at center and did some switching. Gill switched on to DeMar DeRozan at the end, and DeRozan had a three to tie. Remember, this was the second of those back-to-back game winners from three that he hit last year from the corner. This one was up top. The NBA ruled that DeMar actually got fouled on that three that could have taken the lead. Uh, Beal hit the what ended up being the game winner just before that with a tough floater from the right side. The Wiz were up basically the whole game, but then the they the Bulls tied it. They kept their cool. Beal hit this tough floater. I thought they went a little bit early, but that was fine. And Nikola Vucevic, 12 of 12 from the foul line in this game, Danny. That is a career high for him. I'm not sure why it was. I, I locked in on this one late. I was at the arena 
of why why Porzingis wasn't playing down the end. Maybe he just fouled out or something. Or did they actually think that he this is one hundred two one hundred in the end? Oh yeah, he did fall out. That's that's and he was plus and, seventeen. And, and Porzingis is also dealing with a sprained ankle, so like they might have even been judicious yep. even if he had been available. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. Avdia is he ended up with five fouls. He's back. There was thought that he might miss time with his injury situation early in camp. But you know, to go with Anthony Gill at center rather than Gafford, who is negative 15 and 18 minutes, rather than playing someone like Will Barton, rather than playing Hachimura, rather than playing Avdia. I thought that was interesting, but it, it ended up working out, even if uh, he probably should have got called for a uh, foul. And then, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's all I got. Oh, Patrick Williams played 24 minutes, took five shots, negative 23 in those 24 minutes. I don't think that's all, shouldn't, shouldn't all be laid at yeah. his feet, but... There is this question about, you know, like, where is his place? He got drafted really high by this front office. So they don't, you know, they could go in a lot of different directions. They could even be just playing DeRozan at the four. They're also shorthanded now. And I don't want to, it's more of a newsy thing, but just we'll have to keep an eye on Zach Levine's availability kind of moving yeah, forward. Yeah, let's let's close with that. He did make his season debut on the second night of a back-to-back, but it seems like this is just going to have to be managed. They got waxed by Cleveland last night without Darius Garland. Darius Garland's probably going to be out until next Friday. It seems that Chris Fader is reporting that's the most likely the target date. And you mentioned Patrick Williams. He got subbed out very early on for Javante Green at the beginning of the third as things were slipping away against the Cavs yesterday. And Casey Johnson is writing the advice column of how he should be brought off the bench. And that's what they was. Oh, we need more aggression from Patrick Williams. And, you know, his job is to get DeRozan and Zach Levine going and so he can't be aggressive enough it's like what skills does Patrick Williams have that you really want him being aggressive on the offensive end at this point and particularly he he should be able to complement the starters well right but and the fact that Javante Green might be better than him right now at doing that when Javante Green doesn't really shoot the ball it's concerning <laughs> that is definitely concerning for me uh, if you're a Bulls fan hoping that Patrick Williams is going to be your out but we'll see maybe he'll find himself off the bench and look a little bit better but like he's supposed to be really good at defense and supposed to be a better shooter than some of the other guys they have so he should be able to compliment these guys and he's not doing a good enough job of that so the idea like oh now let's put it on the bench so he can feel more comfortable scoring like that's that's like job three for him right now yeah. to me defend ideally shoot well enough that they that they defend you and then you know create if the opportunity presents itself yeah, two dribb- and get two out dribbles in a good transition decision. i mean their overall team athleticism is not amazing and, and you hope that he can contribute to that all right well this was fun again we're just gonna pretty much ad hoc it watch the games that we think are interesting but we have an idea of which teams we haven't seen fully yet i'm going to warriors king so i'll have a report on that one from tonight and just gonna watch a lot more games throughout the day and we'll be back do the same thing tomorrow we'll talk at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. These are the Friday, October 21st, 2022 Daily Dunks. The Pistons are investigating Assistant General Manager Rob Murphy over an allegation of workplace misconduct involving a former female employee, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. 
Hopefully, the investigation will produce a just outcome. James Edwards III of The Athletic profiled Murphy in August. LeBron James drew attention to the Lakers' lack of quality three-point shooting after they shot 10 for 40, 25%, from beyond the arc in their season opener. Well, they shot even worse, 9 for 45, 20%, in a loss to the Clippers last night. LeBron. Our ball club is our ball club, and I'm definitely not going to sit here and harp on what we can't do every single game. That's it's not a leader. So um, what I know we can do, uh, we can defend our ass off. And we did that tonight, which gave us a, an opportunity to win. And uh, we just couldn't, just couldn't make it happen, but I'm okay with that. LeBron both tries to be a good leader and sometimes makes passive-aggressive comments. In this case, he has already made his point. The Lakers roster is a crucial flaw, particularly for a LeBron team. The front office heard that. Not much else to be done at this moment. At some point, LeBron might try to accelerate the Lakers' trade timeline or reiterate what he wants a trade to accomplish. But for now, LeBron is seemingly settling into trying to win games with the teammates he has. Russell Westbrook said coming off the bench in the Lakers' preseason finale absolutely could have contributed to his hamstring injury. Lakers coach Darvin Ham, quote, First and foremost, let me be clear with this. The Lakers, myself, my staff, we in no way, shape, or form would ever put anybody, a player, an employee, in harm's way, be it physically, mentally, spiritually. We don't stand for that. We're not about that. That's not who we are, end quote. Ham said he and Westbrook had a brief discussion. Ham, quote, We moved on. We got an understanding, and again, as the coach of this team, my staff and I, we're going to do what's best for our team to be as successful as it can be, and I'll just leave it at that. End quote. Ham was hired in part for his ability to hold players accountable. Westbrook is a different challenge, but Ham sounds resolute. Ham via Kyle Goon of the Orange County Register, quote, You have to be prepared to do whatever your team needs you to do, and that's called being a professional. So however we choose to use him, there has to be a willingness there to sacrifice for your teammates and the overall good of the team if that course of action is going to lead to success, end quote. The true test will come if Ham decides bringing Westbrook off the bench would be better for the Lakers. And really, we might not know if that happens. We'll know only if Ham follows through. Assuming the coach does, we'll see how Westbrook buys in and how Ham responds if Westbrook makes more waves. But for now, Ham can call this latest issue quashed. Which of Luka Doncic's Mavericks teammates has been the best player? Kristaps Porzingis set the bar while fizzling, which says something about the bar. I'd say Jalen Brunson last year. Tim Cato of The Athletic analyzes whether it might be Christian Wood. Wood isn't even starting for Dallas, but he's darn talented and, as Cato details, has already shown nice chemistry with Doncic. That seems sustainable given the multiple ways Wood can attack the pick and roll. If Wood defends a little better, I believe he's capable. This pairing could really work. Danny's pick for biggest surprise player, Grizzlies forward Santi Aldama, looks pretty good. Starting a power forward with Jaron Jackson Jr. out, Aldama scored 18 points on 3 of 8 three-point shooting and grabbed 11 rebounds in Memphis' season-opening win over the Knicks on Wednesday. The Grizzlies outscored New York by 18 in his 39 minutes and got outscored by 15 in the other 9 minutes. DeMichael Cole of the Memphis Commercial Appeal looked deeper into Aldama's performance, including how the slender Aldama held up defensively against the burlier Julius Randle. Want more Victor Wenbayama hype? David Aldridge of The Athletic talked to six NBA personnel people about the presumptive number one pick in the 2023 draft and delivers plenty. My favorite quote? It's not just his skill. It's the flexibility he moves with. It's incredible. It's like seeing a giraffe, but a giraffe that's moving like a completely different animal. And you're going, wait a minute, that's a giraffe. It's supposed to move slowly. And meanwhile, it's like this giraffe that's a predator. 
The giraffe is hunting you. And you're going, wait, what? It's something we've never seen before. End quote. It's also interesting how Aldridge's sources seem divided on how best to deploy the 7'4 Wenbayama defensively. One, quote, he's not a switch defender, he's a drop guy. Another, quote, he slides and moves so well. If they put him in pick and roll, he can switch. There's not a lot of fives in our league that can do that. A third, quote, he's a four. He's going, he's not going to be able to guard threes out on the perimeter all the time. A fourth, quote, no one that big is going to stay in front of primetime NBA guards consistently out on the perimeter, but he has enough lateral movement. It's probably the best I've seen in anybody that big that'll surprise you from time to time on some stuff out there. But the great equalizer, if you blow by him, you talk about some guys that'll be looking over their shoulders as they're going to the basket, you could beat him, and he could be at the free throw line, and he takes one step, and he's pinning the thing. A fifth, quote, if whoever he gets drafted by ever had some type of conception of utilizing a zone... Can you imagine having a back line with him, or maybe even putting him in the top of the defenses, trying to see over this albatross of a player? Pick swaps have become the rage as teams look to circumvent the Stepien rule, which prohibits trading future first-round picks in consecutive drafts. Pick swaps allow teams to convey value in consecutive future drafts by retaining a first-rounder every other year, albeit a lower first-rounder. Think of pick swaps, and the first one that comes to mind is probably Celtics-Nets in 2017. As a condition of the Kevin Garnett-Paul Pierce trade four years earlier, Boston swapped its first-round pick, number 27, for Brooklyn's number one. The Celtics traded down to number three and picked Jason Tatum, who was developed into a star and left the Nets, and 76ers, who moved up to get Markel Fultz number one, looking foolish. But pick swaps don't usually work like that. Zach Cram of The Ringer dug into the history of pick swaps and found most don't even get exercised. He determined the average value of a first-round pick swap is the number 36 pick. Cram's research and presentation are certainly useful. Read his article and you will be more informed. But I think he underplays the upside of pick swaps. The draft, and therefore draft picks, are about upside. For many teams, the draft is the best and maybe only way to get a franchise-changing star. That's more likely to happen high in the draft. A high second rounder might have the average value of a pick swap, but only an unprotected pick swap has that limitless upside. That carries significant value. At some point, successful teams have all hit big on a player. Moderately positive moves aren't enough. You can keep hitting singles, but in a league with 29 other teams, some of them will hit home runs and surpass you. If you want to get to the top, you sometimes have to swing for the fences even if you're more likely to strike out. You probably know LeBron James will soon pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the NBA's all-time scoring record. Do you know how many points Abdul-Jabbar scored? I sure didn't. Finding an excellent angle on such a well-covered storyline, Dan Wojcicki of the Los Angeles Times looked into how few people know the number and why that is. This is a really cool article. After reading it, I can tell you Abdul-Jabbar's career scoring mark is 38,387, a number I'm sure to forget by tomorrow. Nikola Jokic has become an all-NBA mainstay at center. Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis are likely all-NBA players when healthy, which isn't always. Often it feels like one spot is left for Rudy Gobert or Carl Anthony Towns. In fact, Gobert or Towns, but never both, have made all-NBA each of the last six years. John Krasinski of The Athletic explored how Gobert and Towns viewed each other while foes and now teammates with the Timberwolves. <laughs> 
The Nasa Santacumpo actually played a small role on the Bucks last season as a defensive specialist on the wing, helping to shed the image he's in the NBA only because he's Giannis Antetokounmpo's brother. But good luck convincing anyone now. Video caught Thanasis picking Giannis's nose before Milwaukee's win over the 76ers last night. In defense of Thanasis, it wasn't a deep pick. He did the old thumb-out move, though technically a pick that's barely more than a scratch. In prosecution of Thanasis, it was someone else's nose. As always, all links in these daily dunks can be found in the show description. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 